Hey, folks. Welcome to episode 110.5. This is a bit of a follow-up supplement to the uh, Maryland Film Fest review uh, because I managed to get an interview with Chris LaMartina, the writer and director and composer Cool. And everything. He's one of those guys uh, of the film Call Girl of Cthulhu, which I saw at the festival. And his fiance, Melissa O'Brien, who is one of the leads in the film and has. What's That's that? me patting you on the back. <laughs> you did a good job yeah. getting this interview. Yeah, it was good. Exclusive. Um, is that from like Entertainment Tonight or something like that? Whenever they have like little. Exclusive. Dude, that's it. That was yeah. perfect. Well done. That's what it is. Definitely that. Okay, sorry, John. It's a movie schmovie. Exclusive. There you You're go. supposed to do that. <laughs> didn't right, uh, didn't Will I Am? Uh, His re- version is the shittiest. It's the worst song in the history of all recorded music. Have you heard? Like they made a big deal out of hyping it too. That he mm-hmm. was gonna. That we're gonna re- release the the remade version. Uh, sorry, Chris Lamartina and Melissa O'Brien. We now have a tangent in your intro because we're talking about Will I Am's version of the Entertainment Tonight <laughs> theme so song. Oh, I've never but, like, heard this. They, they, they hyped it like it's we're going to drop it this Thursday or whatever. Mm. And then when it came on, it's basically the inter- correct me if I'm wrong, but it's basically the Entertainment Tonight theme Some song. Some extra drums. Yeah, it's very shitty. Well, back to my intro. Yeah, back <laughs> back to the back to the reason this episode yeah. exists. Uh, yeah, but Chris LaMartina and Melissa O'Brien, uh, they came down here. We we had a chat. I I was thinking we were going to do a short interview and we were going to edit it into our into one ten our recap, our yeah. festival recap. But the conversation just kind of kept going, and as Steve likes to point out, I let it breathe. I let it take many deep. He's gulps a big of air. supporter of breathing. It's mm. all about it's all about airflow, guys. <laughs> Thanks for coming down to the uh, to the Schmoovie basement. Uh, no problem. We're stoked to be here. Yeah. Uh, Chris LaMartina and Melissa O'Brien. Hello. Director and star of uh, Call Girl of Cthulhu, which just had its... Was that the premiere Thursday yeah. night? At yeah, the premiere. Festival? Thursday night. So was yeah. that the first time a, a wide audience had seen it? Yeah, I think that's the, the first time anyone outside of a crowd of like three people in our apartment has yeah. seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. So what was your experience like with that? I thought it was awesome. A really fantastic turnout. Uh, there was just a great reaction. I mean, obviously, the, the reaction is going to be a little bit biased because there's a healthy portion of the uh, audience being cast and crew. Yeah. But um, I, don't, I don't think I've seen an audience respond to one of my films like they did with this. I felt, I told Chris about an hour before we headed over there that I was starting to feel really vulnerable and really nervous about it because my background is almost exclusively stage acting. You know, mm-hmm. this was my first major film role. So I started just overthinking how many people were going to be there and how many people were going to see me, you know, naked. (laughs) And also just performance-wise, when you're on stage, you can make those little adjustments and you're also really absorbed in what you're doing. But but... now she could only trust my editing. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, there's no way. There's no – I mean, what the audience's response is is what it is. And the funny thing is you'd seen the movie probably like three times by then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was happy with my work and I thought it was great and I thought the movie was really entertaining and I loved it. But I just started feeling really anxious about it and – just had to get a drink, and that was pretty good. About drink. four <laughs> sips into a gin and tonic, I was breathing easier. But well, I mean, yeah. it's definitely like I was actually going to uh, 
addressed that at some point. And I'm glad you brought it right up. There's it. You found a lot of actors that who were very game for anything mm-hmm. in this movie. It seems, and yeah. I was wondering how that what that was like from a directorial standpoint, but also from a from a performance standpoint. What's it? Because there has to obviously be a lot of trust there, but also there's a tonal thing that has to be understood. Like there's got to be a line between like can't be fun and exploitative whatever and it's like you gotta either deliberately step over that line or blur it or you know what i mean it seems like there has to be a shared understanding yeah well see it's funny this is number seven for me feature film number seven so like early on and as each film develops and as i get a like i'm gonna say like a um people get have got a great greater sense of trust uh, mm-hmm. in what I do. Like, when I was younger, I mean, hell, when I was, like, 18 or 19 making these movies, and uh, I'd cast... When did you make your first one? Uh, we made, which is a horrible movie, this film, Dead Teenagers. I shot that from when I was 18 to 20, and then released, I think, he came out. He still hasn't shown me that. I know. Yeah, you haven't <laughs> seen that one. But that, that one, ironically, I think, is on, um, not streaming, but it was on Netflix. Um, you can you can get it on DVD and, uh, through Netflix. What was the name of that one again? Dead Teenagers. It's terrible, man. We shot it on a consumer <laughs> camcorder, like, the whole budget, like, $300. But we made it as an experiment. We, like, made it to as an experiment to see if we could get distribution and we did I mean that sold foreign territories like it was you know, it was kind of crazy to see a version of my shitty $300 horror movie dubbed in <laughs> Russian like that blew my fucking mind but anyway when I was younger like the like even dealing with people that were like 10 years older than me some of the adult actors they would sort of not trust what I was doing because I was pretty youthful and I was pretty inexperienced too like I remember films I worked on going into like my second and third film there would be like actors that would almost um why don't we try this and I'd think like that's not your job but like I was you know humble enough and I understood the politics of like appreciating other people's opinions even if they're not the role that they're supposed to be Mm -hmm. um I think as our films people saw the films we had made before and got an understanding of what I was going for that sort of when that trust was established i think people don't most people don't have just blind trust you know even even if they understand protocol and respect you as an artist i think i think they you need to sort of win over their their um their trust a little bit but a ton of the people I'd work well, with. Well, there's different ways to get people's trust. Like, paying them a lot is one way to do exactly. it. Exactly. But and when you're working on a shoestring, obviously there's got to be something else. And that's why it has, to, it, it has to be rewarding in different capacities. It needs to be rewarding as for an actor to have a fun role to play, which I think we write really fun roles for people to play, or mm-hmm. really challenging roles for people to play. I mean, we take screenwriting very seriously. And also, like, I, you know, Jimmy and I, uh, my producing partner, we always joke that, like, the most um, important thing we like we do is is to say thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's super beneficial to, to tell people that we appreciate their hard work. And I think that's that encourages, like, if you think so, if someone feels valued, they'll work really hard for you and respect you as a director or, or as a leader. Chris is a very respectful director. You know, some of the things that I had to do in the movie put me in a really delicate position. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're an actor and you still have that wall where you can separate it. But there's one scene in particular. Um, there's one scene? Well, well in particular, there's, there's a scene when I'm in the shower and I'm washing off the aftermath of a highly traumatic event. You know, don't want to give any spoilers. No, I was thinking about that. Um, but it was, a very, it was an extremely vulnerable scene mm-hmm. to, to do. And Chris is very respectful. He's very understanding of people's processes. He respects whether you need someone to be close to you in that moment or you need someone to give you some space. You know, um, that and then the traumatic event itself was pretty much a closed set sort of thing and no one could joke about it you know no one could make light of the situation because when you strip that scene down 
to what it really is. It's hard to talk about it without being able to talk. But but you know, it's well, like I was going to say, can we get a description? Can some, maybe because you know people that are listening to this, I would say that then yes, the name Call sure. Girl of Cthulhu really says a lot about the movie. Yeah. yeah. But I would say like yeah, let's let's okay. say what we can say. Before sure. We... So I can give you the, the the high level. Um, Call Girl of Cthulhu is a horror film based uh, inspired by the works of weird fiction author Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Um, and basically the, HP to those H- of us that H-P. know and love him. Yes. <laughs> you know the printer guy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so, so anyway, so um, it's a conspiracy. I never thought about that. <laughs> if only it was Hewlett Packard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, Necronoma copy. <laughs> so God, I just started this horrible train. Okay, you, you started a pun war. Yeah, I know. With we, the wrong we, person. We can't do this. We, yeah, can't we do really it. can't. Okay, so um, basically, the, the, there's the, a girl in the room. Quit <laughs> with the puns. She loves them. She okay. can out pun me. Uh, but um, that's special. It really is. Um, okay, so basically, Call Girl of Cthulhu. Um, it's a horror sex comedy. It's basically about a virginal artist who falls in love with an escort who's destined to be the bride of the alien god Cthulhu. Um, so he falls in love with this this woman that um, is pretty much slated to end humanity, mm-hmm. and uh, a bunch of crazy shit happens. Yes. Well, and you know, in the becoming the bride part, you know, we, I mean, I think Chris really treated that scene for what it was. You know, when you're filming it. It's not a job that she signs up for willingly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and you can treat that like, oh my god, this is a crazy monster scene, or you can kind of take it to the next level, which I really appreciate I think it's because really terrifying, yeah. I think it's yeah. it's yeah. really scary. The yeah. scene is that much scarier when it's not just like, oh look, monsters. You know, yeah, it's, it's totally. like that woman is being violated. Yeah. Big well, time. is it odd to watch a scene like that? Because I was thinking about this movie. I even found myself watching moments. I mean, I think it's the nature of the film. You know what type of movie you've made. Sure. You watch it and you deal with it while you're watching it. You don't know what how you feel about it maybe while you're watching mm-hmm. it. I think well, it, it, the tough thing for me is, or not tough thing, but something to think about. Um, we danced a line of making a horror comedy with scenes that are actually really scary and scenes that are funny. And I think for, and I would I would never play something serious like like horrible like the scene we're talking about um for laughs there would be something that would kind of shock me and i would i would be grossed out but but what i found myself doing was like laughing out loud without thinking i was laughing and it was kind of like <laughs> that sort of laughter of madness that you actually get in a lovecraft story yeah. sort of yeah where yeah. it's like i was sitting there in a room full of people and it was cacophonous and i was going like because <laughs> i don't know how else to react to what i'm seeing you know what? and i'm like did i just make that sound did i just laugh at this, this acidic piss that's yeah. coming out of this woman burning this guy's face off like well, what's wrong funny. with me I, I feel like there's a. I don't think there's anything wrong with you. I think that's. I think that's great. I mean, I would laugh at the same thing. I mean, I remember years ago. There, well, there's a couple of things like what make what makes me laugh, or some of the things that I laugh at are kind of embarrassing. And people don't understand. I never forget when I saw um, No Country for Old Men. This opening scene where Javier Bardem um, strangles the guy and he grabs the guy, pulls him to the floor, and there's um. Uh, what is it the 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 rubbings of his feet all yeah. over the floor and I laughed hysterically because I was like that's brilliant <laughs> yeah the guy does this kind of futile kicking at the ground and yeah. you see the scuff marks from so his shoes so the scuff marks yeah. were on the floor and, yeah. and like I thought it was brilliant that they showed this because most people most Hollywood productions wouldn't even put that in like that's sort of reality there mm-hmm. like and it, that was a little thing that made me like sort of go that was smart they put that yeah. there it made it way more real so that there's stuff like that where you're you're laughing at the 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 magic trick style storytelling like how we do a special effects shot like not knowing if it's CGI or practical or not knowing how we pull it off but then also I think too in, the, in regard to that scene I mean you set up these people that are total creepy right like, douchey dudes and when they get their comeuppance you know that's sometimes horror films do act as morality plays you know yeah. and these horrible people get a good one too well there's a great montage earlier that plays very humorously that shows the horrors that this woman puts up within her job yeah and th- yeah and you don't even you don't feel that it has to be answered. You don't feel that there has to be a book in. But once yeah. I saw where that was going, I was like, okay, good. This is great. It's yeah. really satisfying. Yeah, well, I was going to say, know. like, and we can do... talk about it. Yeah, like, the yeah. first montage is all the clients she she has um, she has sex with, you know, and, like, their various fetishes. Like, one guy has a foot fetish. Uh, one guy has a food fetish. The other guy wants to play doctor. And the fourth guy wants to mm-hmm. be 
you know shit on shit on yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they all get their comeuppance i mean the guy who in related get... ways yeah exa- exactly yeah. in yes. ironic uh gruesome demises yeah. yeah it's like she's been taking notes on it yeah. Yeah. i love that how she, she had a little black book formulates a death perfectly for each one well there's definitely like an audience roller coaster effect to that type of thing and i was um i think it's interesting that that you guys obviously were at those screenings. Did you ever find it odd to see that that kind of fist pumping atmosphere that people don't like when that moment where they don't know how to react when something truly unsettling is happening? Did did you ever did you get any weird reactions that way? Like some people who wanted to laugh through some of the more uncomfortable moments. I mean, well, do you just think that's a natural response? Or so much of our audience too, particularly Thursday night was friends and a lot of our friends are performers you know i Mm -hmm. think most of the baltimore rock opera society was there for example you know and they're the kind of people who they're gonna crack up laughing because they appreciate that you went there you know and just just seeing the extent that you'll go to and that you'll push the envelope like that and then you've got a woman peeing on a guy's face and making it melt i mean So many of our friends just think that's the greatest thing in the world, you know. So I think they're a little more likely to have that laughter and to have that kind of exuberant sort of reaction just on a performance level and on an excess level. You know, they appreciate excess. I think it's too, it's funny. It's like there's a certain level of... I don't want to say shock value, but I like let's say that for the for the case. There's a certain level of shock value, but it's smart shock value compared to like, oh, it's not like somebody just like you know, like we don't show you shitting on John, you know, like the, the, the and pissing on him <laughs> would be you. one thing, but like like but the fact that it melts his face is like it's like a little bit of like a you know there's a, there's a punchline there, mm-hmm. and I th- and I think that's what's exciting. Not to mention like there's that sense of like I feel like we we take characters. I've seen so many horror films where the characters you don't care about, and I think when you give people characters they care about, um. That you have an emotional investment and you just react more. I mean, if you don't care about your characters, your movie's not going to, you know, succeed on a lot of levels. I think that's true, even in a movie like this, where you might guess that the audience would only want it to be balls to the wall, you know, gross stuff happening. I think everybody privately, secretly, whether they know it or, want, or not, want that, that identification with the character and yeah. that level of investment. And like you said, the seriousness. Because I do think if you're watching a movie that feels mean-spirited, it isn't as fun. And exactly. I, I think that it didn't feel, I mean, like your movie has a lot of awful things happening to people, but it never feels like the movie's heart is in the wrong place. Exactly. And I mean, I think Carter's someone that we can all sort of root for. I mean, Erica, mm-hmm. the noise musician, is someone you can root for. I think Melissa, even like before she turns into the, and even while she turns into the monster, like you're still rooting for her to mm-hmm. stop these like guys who treated her like shit. Um, but like before then, I think she's very, all the all the characters you need to root for are empathetic. And even, well, there's pathos in what eventually happens to her, even though exactly. she becomes sort of, a, you know, again, we won't reveal too much, yeah. but like, yeah. A character whose orientation in terms of the good versus evil aspect of the story is very, you know, shaky. Gray, yeah, Beyond yeah, yeah. gray. <laughs> well, I think you but, can really understand that she gets so caught up in mm-hmm. someone finally valuing her for something else, even though it's something really fucked up, you know, and even though she has to go through all of this horrible stuff in the process, it's the first time someone hasn't come to her just to fuck her, you know? It's right. just like... You have a fate. You are special. You have a destiny. And those are things that are completely foreign concepts to her, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that's the great tragedy of Riley. And just... even, even the good guy hero is sort of wants to wants to bone, you know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. Right, yeah. He's right. just looking exactly. for the even, special even the, lady even the, to bone. the quote-unquote sensitive guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right, yeah. So I think for her, you know, and... I've never said, I've never referred to it as boning <laughs> before in my entire <laughs> it sounds, life. It sounds right, though, in yeah. this context, yeah. 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 But I think, I know, actually thought, I went down, there was a crossroad, it was bang or bone. Yeah. Right, bone. no, I think I bone, was, I think that's good. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a horror buzzword. Yeah, right. Bone, oh, you're right, it's very creepy. That's great. But I think taking her character seriously and... 
I think especially in the scene that's coupled with that first montage where you start to see her kind of open up to Carter, the lead character, you can see there's sweetness in there. You can see there's vulnerability. And so I think it makes it more effective um, watching her fate play out, you know. And you might think you know where the movie's going. There's a few different points where the movie seems like it's going towards something sweeter than where it eventually goes. And I will say that I like when, I like my horror, like, you know, I don't know how you felt about the, the movie Drag Me to Hell. But I, oh, I, great. I, th- I like that whole movie. You're like, okay, this is pretty good. But then at the end, you're like, it it earned the name. It's yeah. like the way that movie ended. It, I like when something ends at the moment where it's like, oh, no, wait, they are fucked. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think that your movie, you're, you pay homage to that idea of not like, especially of a Lovecraftian idea yeah. of being doomed. And that yeah. there's really nothing you can do to turn back the, the this awful tide that's coming. Yeah. I mean, I, it's definitely like, I don't know if I can, I mean, I love this mentality. I don't know if this story can, can pick is in line with this philosophy but uh joe bob briggs the noted like driving uh late late tv like tv show host he had that thing um anybody can die at any time the sign of a great movie yeah and uh and i think like you know we, we definitely take some weird wild twists and turns i mean you know it's kind of crazy that well i can't I, yeah i can't spoil anything so. yeah but, um, you know people see the movie you may be talking about something that happens very late in the movie yeah that, yeah. Is, a, that is truly a shocking moment yeah. mm-hmm. like i you know I was thinking like, okay, the movie did have a nice soft, a nice yeah. soft heart after all. And then Not I was like, in Lovecraft's oh, world. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the other thing. It's interesting that, yeah, to me, like one of the things I always notice about Lovecraft, who I do, uh, you know, I, I guess you're. A, I see the book on the shelf. Yeah, right. You. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot of it. Um, and also just weird fiction in general, like not just Lovecraft, but a lot of the authors that he read that were yeah. writing like in the 1890s on sure, that sure. kind of weird. Uh, weird fiction tradition of it's it's not straight up horror weird tales there's always it's always unexplained there's, there's always there's something this... that's like right outside the door right outside your yeah. understanding that never is answered and there's always some conflicting information too to kind of tell you like okay wait this doesn't totally add up I feel it but I don't understand it and I think that you pay homage to that aspect but the one thing I thought was interesting was um, Lovecraft is like a total sausage party yeah and your movie is like the opposite of that and I, yeah. I wondered yeah. were you consciously saying I'm going to do like a Lovecraftian themed story but not in the way that Lovecraft would have done it so, at all. So, yeah, so basically it's interesting. I mean, I could talk about the movie. Let me let me talk about how I'm going to get to what you're asking about. The um Lovecraft stories he has very few female characters. He also never talks about money. Mm-hmm. Women and money are probably two major tenets of you know, prostitution as, as, you know, our society knows it. Um, also, so, two things I don't think Lovecraft had much of at yeah. all in well, his he was, life. He was married, but I mean, I mean like, yeah. and, and there's some, I remember we did a lot of research on this. Like, I, I believe in one of her um, her diary entries, Sonia, his wife. Um, yes. She, I think I know this quote. She, like, she says on like, he knows his way about around a woman or something oh, like that. Hey. I think she said he is... I, I I'm not sure if I'm saying it, but I think she said he is a perfectly adequate lover. Yeah, yeah, oh, something, wow. like, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That actually sounds more like Which some is like, that kind of. So yeah, good. right. No, right. <laughs> well, she didn't say he was inadequate. Right. Exactly. <laughs> So if, so if I say to you, yeah. next time we have special time, that was adequate. See, adequate, to me, that sounds like one of those words you okay. pause before you, know, you find it. You're like C-Stream. a perfectly <laughs> adequate. adequate lover. That's like saying that your genitals are suggestive. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> hey, folks, this is John with a quick interjection. Because I'm an anal retentive weirdo, I had to look up the actual Sonia Green quote about her uh, brief marriage to H.P. Lovecraft and his sexual prowess. And what she said was not that he was a perfectly adequate lover, but that he was an adequately excellent lover, which is still somehow kind of backhanded and not exactly a compliment. Anyway, back to the show.
So, so basically, we had these, these, those are two things. I mean, we came with the title first, very candidly. Like, you know, I kind of almost always come with the title first. That's sort of like wordplay and vocabulary spark my imagination, like few things um, do, really. And um, a lot of edits in the movie that are based are around based that on idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the it's, La Martina cut. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a Which, problem. by the way, we're talking about how would we describe that? A moment when a character says something basically, sort of I- that there's a smash cut that then ironically reacts to whatever the last line somebody was. Or, or somebody says, get a room, and we cut to a vacancy at the hotel shot. Somebody yeah. says, stop and smell the roses. You cut to a oh, bouquet of roses. Yeah, being offered to Riley. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, but the thing about Lovecraft, too, was. It became obvious, I mean, as people know now, um, or people knew then, but now it's like way, way more shocking comparatively in the 1920s or 30s. Lovecraft was super xenophobic. You know, he mm-hmm. was he was, he was, was blatantly racist. I mean, his stories have some horrible things in them. Um, and then if you look at him as a guy, he's this sort of like sheltered, scared, you know, middle class, maybe upper class, middle class, like timid white dude, you know? And unlike and, a lot of authors that he knew at the time, I find it interesting that you can't say totally product of his times because a lot of his contemporaries were always... Way need- more progressive. But were also yeah. needling him constantly about yeah. his, like, provincial views. But what it's interesting to think that he just didn't... He just didn't question whatever that was he was brought up with. I don't think he ever questioned that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he had this very small worldview. But don't you think that xenophobia and that, like, fear of the other is what makes his stories so great. So I hate it that it's that's why he was that way, but it's oh, that's he, what his stories have that's so palpable is that fear of like being taken over by some other kind mm-hmm. of being or something from outside. So it's like it's totally xenophobic, but it, it actually is the stuff of, of terrific oh, horror. He could, he could talk about fear because he's a really fearful man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, too, what a perfect vessel. Because I didn't want to just like... When we were doing these movies, and you know, I made a couple, like, quite a number of horror comedies now, and I just wanted to talk about something a little bit higher level. I wanted to follow that Roger Corman model of giving them sex and violence, but with a sense of subtext and importance in that mm-hmm. regard. And, you know, that this seemed like the perfect opportunity to use Lovecraft's um, attitude toward this stuff, his, his, his sort of fearful nature, to talk about, you know, adolescent male fears of female sexuality. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like sort of like the... That's the the movie is really about that, um, and I mean that's the subtext, and not maybe not even the subtext. I mean it's so blatant <laughs> in some spots, but uh, I believe we call that text. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, really. So, I mean, a, a giant dick monster, like yeah. you know, it's gotta be, <laughs> right. you know, like giving birth through this crazy slimy vagina. These things are like things that are a uh, little. Maybe too obvious. <laughs> well, it's too late now. Yeah. Well, and I think also it's like, you know, I mean, for me it was like... Yeah, you have to go off and do what you call the subtle edit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's ten minutes. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the opening credits and the ending credits. <laughs> Most of these people that are going to watch this movie, I mean, not all horror fans are, are like, you know, like young men. But obviously it's a pretty wide, diverse genre. But I knew a lot of guys would see this. A lot of younger people that might need to, you know, just think about, like, you know, attitudes toward sexuality in horror films mm-hmm. you know and i think this is i think this is a healthy conversation in the film like how we you know how uh how everything plays out so. yeah and i think you know and talking about the whole lovecraft as sausage party in this movie not as sausage party like i love um professor Kerwin and squid helen mary ball and uh sabrina what's sabrina's last name uh, taylor smith sabrina taylor smith they're such wonderful characters that i think in other movies you would definitely see played by men oh you know, totally. you'd have a man well, and then... chasing the other man like the wacky crazy professor man or even who... if you even if the sort of sort of sidekick assistant role was 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 female you would expect the the guy the, 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 yeah, yeah. the van helsing yeah. i don't know what yeah. we call right. that guy yeah. the giles the yeah. van helsing yeah. whatever that role is the right. expert yeah, the expert. yeah. Those always have the expert we i gave the first draft of the script to a couple um 
feminist academic friends that I had that like I really was like I was like tear me apart tell me how like sexist and misogynist this film is one of them actually loved it and thought it was great mm-hmm. um and then I told her the and then the other one um who I, I can probably drop drop her name and not worry about it Kalima Young um I believe she actually teaches it she was teaching Hopkins for a while and mm-hmm. um she was basically she did not like the movie she thought it was like real like she like thought like and she basically told like wrote a list of things that like I needed to change and we took her up on a bunch of them and and um the care like the fact that they're like like we made sure like like um like we I changed Squid to female after talking with Kalima and also we auditioned men and women mm-hmm. for that role um and then um and and Sabrina was just the best we saw for that role um and then also we did a couple little things like um changed certain structure things changed wording of certain things and dialogue changed um originally only Whitney had a pacifier the the ghoul like the like the, the sort of henchman and then Wilbur and Whitney both had pacifiers which I think works yeah you know so. Well, it creates this sort of little mystery throughout the whole thing, and and there's one scene where they seem they're in danger, and the pacifier, like I think Wilbur quickly puts back his, his in. So there's this whole little mystery where you're like, what are the pacifiers? For, what yeah, do they for, do? Yeah. What are they holding in? What are they protecting them from? And it's not something that's ever really explored, but it's this awesome little character. Well, you see detail. the little gross mouth later, well, yeah. and at least yeah. then you're like, oh, I don't yeah. want that yeah. thing yeah, coming put it after back me. In. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like I, I think I don't I don't think we had the ability to do this if if we had a bigger effects budget, we could have done something like tentacles like exploding. Like yeah. basically, mm-hmm. I remember my buddy Kevin Perkins when he gave us feedback on the script, he basically said like, I imagine it like a t- like a tub stopper. Like, you, yeah. if you didn't have that, mm-hmm. you would explode with tentacles. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if, for the audience who doesn't know who Wilbur and Whitney are, they're the two henchmen of um, Sebastian, who is the leader of the cult. And they're sort of these humanoid, like, gross figures that are, you can't really see what's, Whitney has tentacle pigtails, but you can't really see, you just know they're slimy and disgusting. Or tentacle dreadlocks or whatever. Dreadlocks, you know. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I actually saw them, I didn't know, but I, my, the mental little story I made up for them was that they were like people that went to some rave and got swept up in something beyond their control and now they're this is what they are I think are. that's yeah. great man yeah. I think that yeah I mean it's funny like we have our little backstories on them but we never um, I mean oh and I have backstories on like who the gore whores are like the, like, mm-hmm. the, the, like the lingerie mutants in the in the cage in the basement <laughs> I've been probably listening to those podcasts like what is this movie yeah, about <laughs> right. you just have to see it there's too much weird shit well, but it does. I mean, it, it, but it hits all those beats, and it's uh, it's in, I'm, it's interesting that you went to the efforts that you did to to like run this past academics and people mm. with who were going to be giving it some like serious feminist thinkers who were going to like let you know where you felt. And it's interesting yeah. that they would have two such separate rea- reactions because yeah. I do yeah. think it's very easy to look at something like this and view it as one or the other. To yeah. say like this is very empowering and very like it deals with these things. It doesn't like it doesn't pull any punches, yeah. but it does it does show more than just the male side. I mean, clearly yeah. in this movie, in fact, the hero is almost kind of, again, like a lot of Lovecraft heroes, he's a little bit of a limp noodle. I mean, No, he totally is. I mean, I, mean, I mean, he says, and this is, we could get real high level, like thematic here, but you know, like he says the right words to really change the things, but whereas like Eric is a more active... Um, uh, man, I'm giving away a lot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you we, do have a lot more action taken by a woman. By female characters. To, mm-hmm. I mean, the most, yeah. the most, the strongest characters in the the story are females. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I mean, like most, of the, most of the guys come off, um, at least in regard to sexuality, like, 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 just like total douchebags or like, you know, kind of, um, or just idiots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and not like that's a larger thematic statement about like men in general, but you know, like I wanted to make sure we had a film that was like, you know, was, was, to a certain degree, empowering. 
you know, mm-hmm. to, 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 you know, women. So, well, you know, Nicolette talks about it in a really great way. Um, Nicolette, who plays Eric Zahn. Um, which, by the way, is a direct reference to the music of Eric Zahn, which is a, a really Amazing terrific story. That's one of, one of the best ones, ones yeah. at keeping the details just out outside of yeah. your grasp. Um, so she talks about, she talks about it in a really great way. You know, she, she's done a, a lot of acting in horror. She gets to kick a lot of ass. And that's something that, Women don't really get to do a lot in, in horror, in particular, or in a lot, I think of, a lot movies. of movies. <laughs> like, movies. I mean, I mean, I, most comedies. Yeah. We talked about that a few times. You know, those things you don't. As a, dude a, wins a woman. As a dude, you know, I say that because you just said dude. I don't. Again, I, yeah. I, I'm a dude who likes to bone. Um, no, <laughs> Um, but as a, as a, I mean, it's like you don't question it. It doesn't have to be the default. I think right. it, a lot of times it ends up being a default where you start telling a story, you start thinking of a story, and you're like, okay, so there's this guy who yeah. dot, dot, yeah, dot. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what I will always question. Well, it, why a the, guy? Does it have to be a guy, mm-hmm. you know? Was is the it Bechtel test? Is that the... Um, yeah, which is like not a super... Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a flawed test, and it's also the most okay, basic... Okay, let's explain what it is, because okay. this is interesting Yeah, it's the most basic, laughable test of a movie, and basically... But I just heard about... I didn't, I didn't heard about it until, like, six It's months. a very low yeah. bar for not being misogynist. Oh, yeah. But the idea is that All to have to female characters that... That, that don't when, talk about a man. That if they're... Ta- <laughs> like, to have two female characters talking to each other, in yeah. most cases in movies, they're talking about something the guy did, or right. something the hero's doing. And a lot of times, it's just narrative. I, a lot of times, it's just, well, these are secondary characters talking about a, a major character. Yeah. But if it always breaks down secondary female male, major character, male, mm-hmm. you start to see what, what the real problem is there. It's yeah. not that it's women talking about men. Well, it's that women test... are giving these roles of standing around talking about what the protagonist yeah, is doing. Yeah, but the whole test is really do two women in the movie have a conversation about something other than a man? Yeah. That's the whole, that's the yeah. test. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is sad. <laughs> like, yeah. If that's all we're hoping for. <laughs> right. I'm like, woo, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's interesting how many films don't even pass that oh, test. And that, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah, like, that yeah, definitely. Mind. Yeah. Um, but also, I think the thing here, too, is like, if you make a Wait, what film... do you women get when you get together? What do you talk about? I always thought you guys talked about us. Yeah, yeah. We talk and... about the pillow fights that we had yeah. and oh, our Jesus. nails. You plan. You talk about past pillow fights and you plan future pillow exactly, fights. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. We've got the whole tier. We've got the brackets. You know. I always thought it was they get together and they talk about the last awesome thing that I did. Yeah, you know? right, and they go into course. detail about how awesome it was and how thoughtful. Yeah. And... Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I was gonna say like too. You know, you could talking about sexuality like this is specifically. It, it's like you're, you're we're fortunate to do it in a horror film because if you make a film directly about sexuality a lot of times you're going to end up preaching to the choir to a certain degree mm-hmm. because the people that seek out that film are going to be the people that are probably pretty far left and progressive and like you know can, can align up with your vision horror films have a wider audience and you can make people that don't necessarily want to hear this lecture see it through the guise of mm-hmm. monsters and and you know like like poppy violence mm-hmm. um and i think that's really important that like you know we can make genre films that speak to things at a higher level you're tricking them into broadening their horizons I, a little, sneaking a, in those a little vegetables bit. <laughs> a little bit yeah it's like jerry seinfeld's wife had that cookbook where she made brownies with spinach or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Brownies, <laughs> brownies spinach, with spinach by the time you've made it into a <laughs> Probably brownie. Probably not. Yeah. I was, yeah it's <laughs> but you know, I think it's important to, like I, as much as possible, like I think it's important to have genre films with a little more of um, you know, a statement there when when appropriate. Yeah. Well, because it is a horror comedy, and you know it's supposed to make you laugh, yeah. and you know it's supposed to creep you out or gross you out or excite you in some way. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of know if it's not doing those two things, then it's not working as a horror comedy. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of horror movies go too far in one direction or the other. They're like they're too grim to be funny or they're too silly to be truly horrific. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's that, but I think, yeah, when you talk about these other thematic issues, it, 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 it is a, you know, the sausage party is frequently mm-hmm. the audience as well when it comes to horror. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I think, well, that's an old stereotype. I think I grew up 
when it was more of a stereotype that that girls didn't read comic books and didn't didn't watch horror films, yeah. and mm-hmm. you see now that that's plainly not true. Yeah. And so, and also, it's plain that when this entertainment is made that is made with that in mind, it usually does quite well. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? Well, and also you see the rise of like I mean like it's almost like a catch twenty two where like if you design films that cater to men because you think that's your audience, you're gonna get films that probably only cater to you know what I mean? Like like right. and like you know in the last like 10, 15 years you've seen things like the the Ginger Snaps franchise or films like, you know, Teeth or like Jennifer's Body, like things that are like trying to get I mean, there's probably a million more movies. I'm just saying some high level real quick. But like um stuff that caters to a more diverse audience, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think that's hopefully Call Girl does that as well, yeah. you know? So. Well, you know, what's interesting too is that women are frequently the main character in horror films, but not in a way that's particularly And this positive. is really well that's yeah. really you know, so it's almost like there's this whole thing of like let's find a woman and then let's make every let's watch her be a victim for yeah. two hours. Basically, yeah. Well, I mean, there's, I mean, I, I don't even know though I was going to say some of my favorite horror films follow that model. Like I love a lot of films that have a female protagonist who just gets put through it. But it's interesting to note that in a weird way that seems forward to say or progressive to have female protagonists, but not if all you're doing is terrorizing. Well, specifically the slasher hours, film, you know? yeah. the slasher subgenre addresses this. There's a great book uh, called Men, Women, and Chainsaws, and Carol Clover, the author of that book, talks about the male gaze and like how the the characters in the film film basically i'm not going to butcher her words you should read it if you're if you're interested in genre gender studies in, mm-hmm. in genre films it's a really good book we may be making this movie sound a lot more serious than i know i think it's really interesting though when a movie that is so entertaining can spark really serious discussion yeah i still think it's pretty heavy on the the you know the pop culture sensibility oh, of totally. sex and violence. I mean, there's plenty of nudity. There's tons of gore. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I'd say it's it, it gets everything in there. The nudity yeah. is adequate. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like this movie was a leap forward for you in any significant way? I mean, or... it's the biggest budget I've ever had by a long shot. Yeah? Like, um, it's... Uh, is over over twice what we made Witch's Brew for. Um, Witch's Brew we made for like sixteen grand, and it's, this is a little bit higher than that. Um, I don't want to like, give like a like I, I guess I pretty much gave a price, but that's you know whatever. <laughs> if you can do math, yeah, you, you now can do know. math, you got that. <laughs> um, but I was gonna say um, it's it was a, it a huge production. Um, I mean, over one hundred and eighty practical makeup effects. You know, dozens of locations. I mean, there's so many like there, basically there's there was more people on set on our. Um, quickest easiest day on this film than probably our biggest film on our last feature before oh, wow. you know it's, it just it's mind-blowing how many people worked on this movie and the credits the credits is like six minutes long it's that's insane to me that it took takes that long to, to tell how many people worked on the film um just and production value I mean, we were working on this film in pre-production for months before we went to set like three or four months of pre-production i mean we spent a year and a half writing drafts of the screenplay we did three drafts of the, the screenplay um it was just a really really big production um <clears throat> yeah that's yeah it's a lot went into it <laughs> And you, you you have several things going on at one time, typically, correct? Like, I know you just finished so, yeah. late last year. WNUF, yeah. yeah WNUF uh, Halloween special, which, how does how do people get that? That's okay, actually... so WNUF Halloween specials are the, la- the film we made before Call Girl. Um, we actually, it's funny, I was like, while we were pre-production, while we were in pre-production on Call Girl, we were um, editing and pretty much finalizing WNUF. WNUF is a found footage movie. It takes place in um, 1987, and uh, it's Halloween night, 1987. It's a broadcast from a local TV affiliate uh, about, like, a live... Um, uh, exploration of a local haunted house. Um, so if you get want to get a copy of it, the easiest way and probably the, the best way to, um, I guess, uh, to support us is www.alternativecinema.com. Mm-hmm. You can buy directly from the distributor. And, uh, 
I, I guess that came out on. It's funny we released it on VHS at first. We released it in mm-hmm. August on VHS only. Um, I mean, we spent months. Like, of course, part, you have to. But well, yeah, on I mean, VHS. I mean, it was like literally the label is a handwritten label that mm-hmm. we wrote, like just like um, just in, in black sharpie. And the initial push was we would lift, leave VHS copies at conventions or on the side of the road or thrift stores. Throw them out the window. Throwing them out sometimes. the window. Mm-hmm. There like, might be still one, be one in Towson. Somewhere <laughs> waiting. Well, yeah. Waiting for someone to pick it up. But like basically we did that just so to, to start that whisper campaign of a movie that might actually be like a, you know, like an actual broadcast. And that was like fun when people would convince had convinced themselves that this was actually a well, I mean, it's, it, it's pitch perfect in terms of some of those like commercial parodies and that sort of Thanks, stuff. Man, I, appreciate I, it. I mean, I find that like that, you know, obviously coming of age in the in the eighties, you will you'll catch a lot more of it. But I think that for someone who was like twenty years old or younger now, that may be that may be like a relic from another time. But I think you would still get the idea that yeah. this is. I mean, the premise is that this was a local broadcast that someone taped. Yeah, where mm-hmm. some strange things happen on the broadcast, yeah. and this is just the whole. The whole thing with commercials. But anybody and who everything, taped stuff yeah. off television back in the day knows that the real gold is not the programs that you can get on DVD or Netflix or whatever, but it's the commercials, absolutely, especially the local commercials. <laughs> and that was so, so much fun to make those. Yeah, there's yeah. there's so many. I I wonder, yeah. like, was that like just a was that like a writers' room type process? So basically, we did. Uh, what I started doing for WNUF was we assembled all the stock footage I knew I could get rights to. Like, people that I knew that were buddies of mine that were shot in the 80s gave us a ton of footage that they were fine with me using footage for. I had some footage that was, um, like, specifically licensed from stock footage libraries. And then just a couple other random, like, vendors and things like that. And, uh... I had my assistant uh, editor, Danielle D'Amico, she actually, while I was working full-time as, at my job um, at a video agency, like I was, uh, at the time, I, was, I think I was just a senior editor there, she would, wor- like, she would like, work on my uh, computer at home, and she would log what clips in sequences, like, this is a lot of zoo animals, this is a lot of, um, you know, Civil War reenactments, like, this is, like, all, all these little things on, on, like, in different sequences, and then I was, like, okay, based off the content we have, we can make commercials for this, 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 and this, and then I took some, and I wrote scripts for them, uh, my buddy Pat Stork took some, but my buddy Mike Moran, my buddy Mac Mentor, like, a ton of people mm-hmm. wrote, like, like things, and then I, what I did was, based off their scripts, I took them, cut them down to 30 seconds, because some of them were a little too long, and then rewrote a couple things, and then we, um, had a bunch of voiceover artists record voiceover, did the titles, I mean, I was very fortunate at the time, I was living with Nolan Strauss, uh, one half of, uh, Post Typography, a graphic design firm, and Nolan specific focus is like he's really strong in typography so he was helping me figure out fonts to use for yeah. for the 80s style like, i mean he's a really talented guy and he was production designer on call girl of Cthulhu he was too. production designer on call girl and i'm like i'm blown away by the amount of work that nolan put into the film i mean he's just an amazing talent um i mean yeah just something like the little touches like all the shirts that erica wears in the film are like lovecraft references and he made these really cool designs yeah went pretty deep for some of those the ulthar cats that's a pretty that's, yeah 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 pretty esoteric story there. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but what's funny is i heard people i heard like the random i don't know if you've noticed this but you hear people in the audience go like oh like i, I yeah. you know they whisper to the person next to him who doesn't care yeah yeah you know what that's a reference to you know? yeah, like, yeah i don't care right yeah, yeah. Trying to watch a movie damn it but you know that's the thing that's cool too like we, we wanted our audience to know that we really took because i mean and I'm not going to say Call Girl is like the most representative. I know it's not the most representative <laughs> adaptation of Lovecraft. Um, mostly because it is a little bit more of a popcorn movie than most, like, love, I mean, absolutely than most Lovecraft stories, yeah. you know? But, um, you know, there's there's some great adaptations, but we wanted to make sure that we that the the fans of Lovecraft knew we took it serious. Um, his the research, like, we, there's a lot of in jokes in that movie, mm-hmm. uh, more so than any other Lovecraft movie I think I can think of, at least in joke wise. Tone might not be exactly the same, but I like to think we still have that overwhelming sense of dread mm-hmm. in the story. Like we didn't want to have we didn't want to have you know like um, too many positive happy endings in the in 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 this this universe. But uh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Now, is, is, did you guys meet on this project? Yeah, or? we did. 
Yeah, we did. And you are now engaged. Is <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we're getting okay. married. Well, that seems like a story. I mean, yeah. that seems like something. <laughs> well, I'm, I'll start. I'll start at the beginning, then we can swap back and forth. Okay. Okay. Oh, this is this will be adorable. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is gold right here. Um, how many times have we done this? <laughs> we should have a better routine by now. <laughs> um, okay, so. I had a. Uh, if you get up and like do a song together, I'll know this was prepared. Oh yeah. yeah. That's, that's All right. Hand me do. that uh, ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I knew of Melissa um, years prior because I would see her. Like we had a bunch of mutual friends, and I would see her post like really funny, witty things on Facebook status. And so I'd click on her profile picture. I was like, God, that girl's cute. Oh, she is dating someone. Okay, N- never mind. <laughs> um, and then um, that was very typical of you being a cute girl who was dating somebody. Sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> so basically um when we were promoting the kickstarter melissa commented this this looks awesome like on someone someone has shared the kickstarter thing um this movie looks awesome uh has this been cast yet or whatever and i said no it is not friend request <laughs> <laughs> and um but i was like i wasn't creeping though i was a gentleman like i didn't i didn't try to make any movies on you no you um didn't. so you want to tell like so basically we did a we did a burlesque fundraiser for the film mm-hmm. and Melissa has a background in burlesque. Yeah, so basically as soon as I heard about the film cuz I'm really good friends with um Marla Parker who did the costume design for Call Girl and of course did an amazing job. Um so she had told me about it and I was like that sounds amazing. I really want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um and the director so, is so handsome. And the director is so handsome and so funny and so <laughs> smart. <laughs> Mostly I just want to meet him. <laughs> Mostly I just want to find me a husband. <laughs> And of course, you were talking to your friend, right? Failing yeah. the Bechdel test. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We were in the secretary yeah. pool one yeah. day at the grocery store. Yeah. I thought you guys were playing tennis, folding laundry. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so I had, I think I had messaged you on Facebook to mm-hmm. see if it had been cast, and and we kind of started talking back and forth, and remarkably. We had never met each other face to face, despite having yeah. so many mutual friends. It's really strange. Um, so, I heard they were doing this burlesque fundraiser. Because I wasn't ready to meet her yet. It was the stars. The stars were right. Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just would have fucked it up. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, yeah. Destroy <laughs> <of> my life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I my background is is really in in theater and in burlesque, and so I decided I was going to get myself into this um, burlesque fundraiser that they were doing just so I could get myself in Because I was of, one of the judges in the contest. Yeah, so yeah. I could get myself in front of Chris and just be like, hey, I exist and I'm good at stuff. Um, so I did this routine that I have based on Lady Macbeth um, to, uh, the song, to Chris Isaac's song, Baby Did a Bad Thing. And I come out and I've got blood on my sleeve and I keep finding more and more blood. And of course, it being a burlesque routine, I have to take my clothes off. So I did that, and and apparently from that moment, Chris told me later the role was kind of mine to lose. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. So we met, and I complimented his hoodie that night and you said, did. "Hey, my Harold and Maude back patch." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, I just was like, "Hey, look, I exist." So and and we talked for a little bit. We didn't talk long, but like no, I just thought you were didn't. so polite and charming, and, and I, mean, I, already, I already knew you were witty just based off your like your the words you post on the internet. <laughs> so then I went and auditioned. So you see, folks, there may be some purpose. The posting yeah. witty bullshit. On yeah, yeah, oh my god! True. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then I went and I auditioned, and um, it, you know, I, I took the audition really seriously as I always do, and and got off book for the audition, and and came in, and 
got called back for Riley and then spent a lot of time like freaking out about it, you know, and, and uh, just getting really anxious because I was so close. And, you know, little did I know that that Chris was already pretty impressed with me. Um, and then at the same time, I was directing a stage production of Medea um, that are at the time that we were going to be shooting, you know, mm-hmm. and so that was Chris's major concern was, yeah. are you going to be able to do two massive projects at the same time? I was like, I'm this close. Well, I, mean, I, well, I remember not, you gave up all your paid work. Not too. doing this. Yeah, I gave up all my, I'm a freelance yeah. writer and editor. And so I gave up all, during shooting, I gave up all my paid work. You know, I took off for that. Um but yeah, then we just started. But there was a uh, bigger reward. There was a bigger yeah. reward. A oh, man. You got paid with a husband. Yeah. yeah. So then we We're actually started... folding laundry right now. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> we started just, I guess, just kind of hanging out and talking and yeah. enjoyed each other's company. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, we, it was. Yeah, we were stuck in a. Um... Well, working together is a great way to discover whether you've got chemistry with someone. Anyway, absolutely. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah, we're and working that closely with someone because mm-hmm. I mean, you get past the initial like, oh, he's cute, really fast. When it's like you're really seeing. I'm not, that cute. I'm not over it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you really. I mean, look at those frames. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it went the other way too. Is that when you're working on such an intense process, you see each other when you're really fucking exhausted, yeah. and you see each other when you're just like stressed out and yeah yeah, Yeah. and usually people don't open that door until you're pretty locked into a relationship well you learn a lot about people really quickly Mm -hmm. on film sets because it's a really big bonding experience yeah like i I would say in the first you know in the first couple weeks of a film or the first couple days to a week two weeks there's this like family mentality that comes up out of it and like people just get really really close we just got really really close yeah and also like we had just like we were stuck in frederick um uh, we were all staying in this hotel in Frederick all the motel scenes were shot like six days straight or whatever and I remember just spending a lot of time with you and mm-hmm. it was like my birthday week and it was just like um, yeah it was really awesome yeah yeah, yeah. and it was just like honestly like I mean like you know to, to not like I've been making a lot of jokes but like there's been, there were so many opportunities when I like like I looked just like the checklist of like the type of woman that I'd like to spend the rest of my life with and Melissa just like lined up perfectly with that like in, <laughs> like in a way that I'm never you know no one's comparable and um, I always thought I say this a lot but it's the truth like I always think it's like total bar- garbage when people say like like, oh, when you meet the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, you'll know. And then, like, I always thought it was stupid. I think people just settle. Like, that was, like, literally legitimately what I thought when I was younger. And then when I met Melissa, I was like, holy shit, like, this is the woman I need to be with. And uh, She is the one the she, prophecy foretold she, The prophecy of. foretold. <laughs> I know. Like, I have my own Necronomicon on my nightshelf. Right. Melissa's in there. Yeah. She had yeah. a little prince tattoo on her back. In, yeah, in that's my, how in you my knew. Necronomicon. <laughs> yeah, so um, then we, we got engaged. I mean pretty quickly you know we got engaged on halloween so we had we had been together about six months at that point i think a little well i know i was gonna propose to you probably in like june or july yeah yeah so you were in that that part of wnuf before we didn't know each other yeah yeah i was this random girl in uh in it's kind of funny she's in she's in the wnuf before like yeah yeah Yeah. there's a there that which was you, I guess you had different people shooting different things for you. And yeah, I happened, to, I happened to run sound yeah. for your our mutual friend Scott McCubbin that yeah. day. And I remember that day thinking that you were a good actress. Like, you know, I, I think there's something <laughs> impressive when, you know, you can see it. I'm sure you see it all the time where you, when the camera's on and the person goes into their place and you see someone doing something. And it, even if they're doing like a goofy sitcom parody yeah. or something, even in a horror movie like this that's got different notes in it, there's still certain tones you have to hit. Yeah. When somebody does that thing that actors do, yeah. I'm almost always, if I'm around to see it, I'm in awe of it. What else? Like, you know? like Melissa's skill set is just like mind-blowing because she can do things like sort of like that goofy 
like uh, screwball comedy stuff or just like the wholesomeness of like an 80s sitcom that's a big fucking leap from from Riley's character yeah. you know and she does both so well I mean pe- some people just a lot of actors are not a lot of actors but plenty of actors are uh, one trick ponies they can only to do certain types mm-hmm. and um, she has a very diverse skill set well, yeah yeah, it's funny because I, I went from, from making Call Girl to working this winter on a short film called Spare Rooms um, that Matt Bowden's making. And it's uh, it's based on and his Trapea experience. And worked on that as well? Yep. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. I saw him Which about I, it. Yeah, and I had met Joe, and he's wonderful. Um, and, and Skiz worked on it um, as DP. And it's, it's based on Matt's experiences growing up in the Midwest in the 80s um, with two moms, you know, mm-hmm. and just how they had to hide their life. And the whole, co- the whole title is based on the concept of having a spare room so that if someone came to your house, you know, you would pretend that was your partner's room. So it just was funny to go from playing, you know hooker bride of of cthulhu to this light family comedy you know where i'm someone's mom which was also mind-blowing to be like oh i guess i'm old enough to play someone's mom now well you play a mom in call girl of cthulhu as well that's true true, yeah I was just did trying you, to. Did you pull on any experience with, for that? <laughs> yeah, I was trying. Yeah, I know. No, our, our children are gonna have the worst. Uh, right. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about how mommy worst and daddy posture. Met. They're gonna be very uh, squid, yeah. squid-like. Like I remember the time that daddy tied me up and put duct tape over my mouth and delivered me into the hands of cult members in a Which cold time? basement. No. Yeah, right. Yeah. The time he filmed it, or the yeah. <laughs> there's daddy rubbing slime on mommy's boob for this yeah. scene. And there's grandpa. And there's right. grandpa in the movie as yeah. a John. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. That's my my dad is the guy that gets his um head twist around. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So when we shot it, we, we were, made sure that he never faced my naked body. We so that was at least he, so my dad didn't that. see her breasts in person because that matters kind of does kind of does I mean I don't know how many people can say that their future father-in-law has like seen their boobs that's true I would say that's one of those lines that's weird even if they're gonna see the movie something about being in the room with yeah, it yeah, yeah. I, think, very... and I think that's why we did it because we had we were hanging out saying this very politically uh, <laughs> we were hanging out but I, I wasn't sure if we were gonna um, you know how, how our relationship was gonna pan out just cause you know who knows what happened was gonna happen some details you didn't have that faith here. yet yeah um but like i was like uh it was it's, i i still didn't feel un- i mean i felt uncomfortable about casting my dad at that point but i was like i'm not going back from this mm-hmm. you right. know so it was uh but you know it's fine i mean my parents were the premiere thursday night so. oh yeah and yeah. they're wonderful and and yeah. so supportive but it's still so strange yeah exactly well, i mean i remember like my my niece and nephew my mom and my mom came with my dad to, <laughs> yeah. to drop to go up to that scene because it was an hour away and they just drove together and they brought my niece and nephew and um they were outside playing, and I like. I remember having these really strong feelings for you then. And I kept being like, "I want you to meet like my niece and nephew." And like, she's like, "I, I'm not." I'm like, "I'm dressed like a hooker with slime on my boobs. I'm not running <laughs> yeah, out to yeah, the car. Yeah. Like, I'm not throwing on a robe." Yeah, yeah, like that might have been weird too. And your family would have been like, "Don't tell me he's brought home another slimy-breasted hooker." Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Hey, everybody's got his type. Well. He's yeah. got a type. Yeah. 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 <laughs> slimy-breasted hooker. Jesus. That's my new band name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that's my improv troupe. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Everyone goes to band name. I, I want to start using improv yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> Well, good variation on the band name, which everyone says that's my new band name, is to say, oh, yeah, they opened for so-and-so uh, in, yeah. in the name the year. So you can do the game of, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good, <laughs> They opened too. for Flock of Seagulls in 87. Yeah. Kind of thing, you know. <laughs> I like it. Man. Yeah. But, yeah, so, that's pretty much long and short of our... our yeah, I think meeting. we covered everything. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Some stuff is private. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
good. <laughs> I mean, we can stay here long enough for everything to yeah. kind of open up. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. eventually yeah. it'll all yeah, come well, out. Yeah. Well, if there was liquor in this glass. Yeah, right. I know, seriously, you'd tell off. <laughs> I tend to slur if I'm drinking. That's the only reason I didn't yeah, serve yeah, yeah. alcohol because for this conversation. Because this podcast yeah. is we get progressively drunker. Yeah. So how was the festival experience overall? Did you see any movies that really... Uh, oh, we really... saw some great films. Faults. Faults was really good. Faults was wonderful. Yeah. I highly recommend that. Um, Faults was really awesome. Uh, uh, Wild Canaries we liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um the, the opening night shorts are really intense. I like them a lot. And just all the shorts. I saw this great short film called Rat Pack Rat. It's um, so gross. It was disgusting and creepy and unnerving in a really charming, funny way. Yeah. Um, right Sounds my, right up right your right alley. Right up my alley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's about this um, Sammy Davis and, uh, Jr. impersonator that has to perform for this um, sick, bedridden boy. Not boy, okay. like forty-year-old man. Say man child. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I think that's but more just, accurate. It was really disturbing, but like hilarious. Yeah. Um, that's the type of film where, where like like you know it's like a pressure valve laughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the opportunity to see shorts at the film festival. Right. You know, because I feel like a lot of the features, I can kind of dog ear the pages of the program and seek them out later. But the shorts, you're not gonna see again. You're not gonna see them. Yeah. And we saw some really good ones. The opening night shorts. Some of those were just devastating, which made for a really strange opening night you know then going into celebrating and having a few drinks and just having seen a couple of shorts that you're just like ripping your heart out um and then we saw the ones that was through laughter come tears and those were all really great too um rat pack rat was in that another one called peepers was hilarious um these two yuppies are sitting down to a meal of gazpacho when they realize they have peeping toms looking in the window and Mm -hmm. They proceed to rip their entire apartment Basically, apart because the they start questioning their, their entire the existence yeah. because they're being judged. It's yeah. hilarious. It's really a difficult job to keep up to date with movies you want to see now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's like, it's Oh, God, it's I can tell you the last time we went and saw a first-run movie. Yeah. You know? Well, we've got, like, a box of, like, 40, like, still yeah. shrink-wrapped DVDs. I know. It's horrible. really terrible. We're horrible about this. Yeah. We really need Netflix. I know. Seriously. <laughs> but i and i think it's funny because we went we were at um we were in charlottesville virginia um because chris is in a band pure junk and they had a show down there we went in this record store and it was kind of like rediscovering that sense of discovery you know because i was picking up records because they're like 25 cents and 50 cents Mm -hmm. sometimes and i was like this looks really interesting i'm just gonna get it you know and i feel like it's kind of recapturing that magic of stumbling upon things you know those records i bought could be shitty but there could be one that i would have never heard of you know and i picked yeah. it up because it was like oh this looks this cover and is look, really those weird. prices you can do it based on the exactly. cover yeah. right exactly yeah. well, what's really funny you bring that up because i remember um so for my full-time job i travel probably like probably once or so a month to like to other states to do like commercials or like online video content and uh one of my my buddies my buddy dan who i work with he is not really into collecting at all. But so whenever I go to a different city, I'll be like, oh, I need, we need to go to like a local bookstore or record store. He's like, okay, well, there's a Barnes and Noble there. I'm like, no, 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 no. Dan's very refined. He wants to go eat a meal. You know, he wants to go like eat, like do the fancy meal and thing. And, and like, like he doesn't understand. It's I mean, it's interesting. It's different type of things. Like he doesn't understand that like I want to go check out the local flavor of how like people are consuming media yeah. and like, what kind of weird thing I'm going to find. Because I know I'll never be, I'm never going to be in Salt Lake City again. I mean, I might be, but I probably won't be, you mm-hmm. know, and I want to see their, what, what sort of weird, like, records they have there, what what the counterculture kids in that city are doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what, where did you go where you had to drive, like, an hour to go to a record oh store, gosh, and that was, is, like, the worst two, judgment ever of a city? This is uh, two weeks ago. I was in, um, I was shooting a commercial for an orthopedic center in um, New Bern, North Carolina. We drove five hours from um, Gastonia, which is about 30 minutes from Charlotte, and, uh, 
this is such a crazy experience. Um, I literally, my flight left it later that day to go back to Baltimore, and I was like, oh, I guess I'll go to a record store. The closest record store was Greenville, an hour away. And it was just, it was crazy. But granted, I still found, like, um, like I found a, I found a CD of, um, like, um, actually, I think this was from NPR, but it was a CD of um, crime stories from uh, one of the radio shows. And then, like, I found a live record of, like, J Church, like, one of my favorite bands. Like, you know, stuff like that. Like, you're, like I think that's so cool. Like, I don't know, this is getting way off the topic of Call Girl. I know, seriously. <laughs> but I think it's cool to talk about being a collector. Well, it's funny that you bring yeah. up that idea about, um, about stumbling on something, because yeah. I was thinking about this, like, Call Girl of Cthulhu, I, I don't, I wish there was a way people could stumble on a movie like this yeah but I, yeah i think it's the nature of it is that people who like that name even only only people who really are on board for a movie called call girl of cthulhu are going to watch a movie called call girl yeah. of cthulhu mm-hmm. but it you know i, I there's got to be i mean what is it i know there's a lot of like horror festivals and there's got they're all i mean because this seems like the ultimate midnight movie to me what are your plans for the movie right now so it's funny the distributor we have right now i didn't get to tell you this yet um because i because jimmy just told me the other day mm-hmm. so at the, at the premiere our distributor was there and she was telling us that sh- they're going to try and this is like i should knock on wood when i say this they're going to this try. This is veneer. I don't think it yeah. counts. We're going to try uh, to actually see if we can get some limited theatrical on it, which is mind blowing. That's crazy. I mean, that probably like New York or LA or whatever, and probably a couple tiny theaters. Yeah. But the same time, too, that's really exciting. I mean, like um, the managing editor. You for... should do some William Castle type thing where you have something involved in the screenings or some kind of like smell well, vision or something. Ki- for the like Kickstarter that, campaign, you know? we wanted to do Call Girl of Cthulhu condoms and we got in trouble. Kickstarter wouldn't let us do that because they were like part of like sex products and they wouldn't do it. Yeah, Kickstarter. That's yeah, interesting. All I wouldn't think things... that Kickstarter would be so prudish about no, that. No, they're very. Um, yeah, they I, want people to get pregnant. We know. Well, we. <laughs> right, yeah. They're like. Anything that even seems more babies, more donors. Like That's sex, what they think. Yeah, like anything sex related or sex work or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have had some problems with. I know a lot of um, people who work in the sex industry and in porn and things when they've been raising money for stuff. Not to like, you that's know. That's why my artisanal dildo project has never right, taken that's off. That's why, because uh, you get kicked off a of Kickstarter. But they they run into a lot of issues with that. That's so. Where was I going with that? Though? Oh, so uh, limited theatrical. Yeah, the future oh, so, of the future so really of cool. And then I mean, like you know, I mean, like like uh, the, um, Mike Gingold from Fangoria was down for the um, premiere, and he was saying he's like he just like thought it was a great like midnight movie, and I think he's we're gonna try to do midnight screenings. Um, so um, hopefully, uh, hopefully it, it, it pans out to that. I mean, I don't know when the DVD or Blu-ray or whatever they decide to do is gonna come out. I mean, we we pretty much finalizing the DVD stuff in the next couple of weeks, but um, so probably like late the end of this year right hopefully i mean it, it, mm-hmm. the thing that's tough about it is when when we finish that and make the dvd there's all these hoops they have to run through yeah. for actually getting like sub distributors and other like like people that are licensing it for things there's like a there's almost like four months of just doing that so we have to get it to it pretty early just to finish it for this year i mean I, i'm really hoping that comes out by the end of the year um but yeah no, i mean it's gonna it's definitely it'll definitely be available on like sites like amazon and like you know things like that so and then we're also going to be hopefully Tons be of showing at festivals, festivals and yeah so right yeah. now is sort of the, the we're submission about process yeah. for okay. that we're about to spend a ton of festival yeah scenarios. yeah well good so. luck to both of you <laughs> thanks, thanks together and apart <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> we got that wedding to plan yeah, yeah exactly He's we'll figure like that out six months next away yeah. god <laughs> you don't want to go ahead and do that now down here yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> are you ordained Let's hash yeah. it out <laughs> yeah. I, my, my understanding is I can get ordained online in just a you few could, minutes. You could. Well, you could do it now. Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap this up. Yeah. We're going to go ahead. Sorry, friends and family. We're doing this now. Let's get married on air. Yeah. No, this is great because the guest the list is already tricky. Yeah. Right. yeah seriously. This really God. simplifies things. Yeah. Yeah. We eloped to a podcast. But now we can just send them all the MP3. It'll be fantastic. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like you're here, gang. I think we should keep our eye on this this young Chris Lamartine. 
and his lady fair. We're watching you, Chris. Yeah, we are. You got our eyes on But thanks again for coming by the movie basement. Thank you. And thank you, John, for taking care of all that. You know, that's that's what I do. I take care of things. Good man, good man. I enjoy that. <laughs> but yeah, thanks, uh, Chris and Melissa, and uh, good luck with everything you're doing in the future. And for you movie schmoofy listeners out there, you know how we end these. We like to say, as always, you've made our day. Bye. Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs>